when you think back to like maybe some of the toughest times for you like from a mental health perspective you want to talk about some of those moments and how you got through them yeah yeah I mean yeah a lot of a lot of tough times a lot of dark dark days um, how do you how do you get through those times I mean you it's it's good to know if you've been through them enough times you're like by the by this time tomorrow I'll feel great yeah let's go check she ain't gotta tell me what to do with it I already know so I've been booking this room out like every single time yeah yeah it's really cool I like this better than the room in the lobby so you're not on display mm-hmm you gotta like maybe we get to know each other or something I, I like the, uh, the the other interview you did with uh, it was another Ivy grad um, that went to Bain yeah Paul Paul Paul's like he's, he's dialed eh yeah he's got like this like huge plan he knows what he's doing over yeah. the next little while like yeah it's tough I guess you see probably people tackle life very differently eh? you know the, the thing I find out after interviewing a bunch of people is that like a lot of people well I guess there's two types of people right yeah. people had absolutely no idea what they wanted to do when they were young yeah. and people who knew exactly what they wanted to do but I find like even the people who knew exactly what they wanted to do plans sort of change right oh totally so it's like totally your plans always change. I think you have to be pretty flexible. You learn, a, like, that's that's basically saying, I'm not going to learn anything. Mm-hmm. Well, not to that yeah. extent, but, like, I think you have a much more flexible mindset. Mm-hmm. And you kind of roll the punches and learn new new, new things. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Sure. Let's try it. Let's do this. Okay. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Attila TV. Our guest for today is the calm, cool, calm, and collected Will Richmond. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Great to have you on. Uh, so Will is a is currently the CEO at Growth Genius, yeah. a B two B SaaS company to help companies find relevant leads. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in a nutshell, what we do. Well, we'll get to. We'll really coming more yeah. later on. It's yeah. just More of the intro right now, and then before that, he was a backpacker through Asian Europe. And if you think I'm joking, if you go on his LinkedIn, there's literally a line that says "backpacker Asian Europe." Yeah. And before that, he was the founder, one of the co-founders of Baymaker Labs which was successfully acquired by General Assembly. And then before that, he worked in wealth management at BNY Mellon, so worked in finance. And before that, he graduated from the Ivy Business School, just so that I also go to as well, the alma mater. So follow, fellow Ivy guy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So the first question I always like to start off with is, Will, at 16. Okay. What were you like when you were 16 years old? Yeah, I mean, I think I was this weird juxtaposition, I think. I was, I was, you know, I love sports. Mm-hmm. I played basketball, football, and soccer for longer than I can remember. But at the same time, I was in like computer immersion. So I, I, I had the nerdy side of me, but I was also, um, you know, as active as, as can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so talk, talk about it. Like, what were sort of things running through your head? Like, you know, around 16, you know, there's sort of this idea, you know, well, you're getting older now, I gotta figure out what you wanna do with your life. Uh, I mean, I think I was like late to the game. Really? Um, I think it's it only clicked for me. It was probably summer grade eleven, and that was like the first really hard job I had. I've done a lot of labor work, but uh, I, I worked at this construction site and mm-hmm. saw how tough it can be going into grade twelve, and I think that changed me for the rest of my life. Um, yeah to realize how lucky I, I had it until that point. But up until that point, 
I was I was pretty free and clear and I hadn't really had it figured out or anything mm-hmm. like that. And then, so you said it changed you for the rest of your life. It changed you in what way? Yeah, I mean, it was a little extreme, but I went to the point where I wrote on my doorway, you know, 10 months of work equals a lifetime opportunity. I was basically dead set on making sure that I didn't end up, um, you know, in some of the some of the jobs that I'd worked that mm-hmm. summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- you know, have, have you worked labor stuff, like construction stuff? I have not, done, You're not framing the house. So my very first job ever was a janitor. Okay. And it's, it's really weird. Like, I know my friend Lovedeep, if he's watching, he's going to remember this. In a weird way, I was actually kind of happy I had that job. Because in my head, I was thinking to myself, like, one day if I have a biography... The fact that my first job was a janitor yeah, sort of propels me on to, you know, can, yeah, start from the bottom, you know, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it can only get better from there. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, like, really humbling. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have, you know, enough of those experiences where you realize you're, you're not any different than anyone else, um, you know, it's hard to stay grounded. Mm-hmm. So then you said it changed you. So, like, you talk about from the perspective. So, like, how did that change your habits? Like, what did you start doing differently after working that job? Yeah, I mean, I, I got more meticulous and awesome. organized mm-hmm. and regimented about how I attacked problems. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I was kind of I knew what I had to get. It was like you, you got to get in the '90s to have your pick of of universities in Canada. Mm-hmm. Now it's you know high '90s. Right? Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, you can't go more past the hundred. You know, and the grades just keep on going up. So <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I wonder it, how this all ends. People are gonna come out with 107s, 103s. To me, insane. Um, so grade 12, what schools are you looking at? What schools are you looking at? What programs are you looking at? Yeah. What careers? I think I, um, well, I didn't know, I didn't really know what business was. I know that's dumb, but I knew what accounting was. Mm-hmm. But I, I only knew, up until that point, science and math. But I knew I was good at that. Mm-hmm. But I saw my, my parents, you know, uh, one was a real estate developer, one was of a general manager or pharmacist. Yeah, I mean, your dad had a pharmacy, right? Yeah, well, he, he managed a, 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 you know, kind of branch or company called Pharmasave. Yeah, Pharmasave, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I saw I saw that and they loved it. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work, but uh, I think I saw them have a good time and I saw that some of these math skills or science skills translated over well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was between uh, Western, UBC, uh, U of T, I believe, yeah. McGill, and uh, McMaster, I think. And you're from Laurier. Vancouver, right? Yeah. So you ended up choosing Western Ivy program. Why did you choose Western? Um, I think it was a good balance. I like the idea that the, the business school was, you know, well-respected, and it was difficult to get into, and you learned you know basically all aspects it, you came out really well rounded but at the same time I got the impression that uh, western folks didn't take themselves too seriously like it was a, yeah. it was a good time the reason why I'm laughing is that I have friends who chose not to go into Ivy yeah. and they chose not to go to partly for that very reason where you think that people are stuck up arrogant so it's funny that you had the opposite impression well, well and maybe that's just being from Vancouver so maybe I didn't fully mm-hmm. appreciate like I don't know what the stigma is so from if you come from the GTA, you know yeah. what's available to you in Ontario. In Vancouver, we didn't really have a great look, mm-hmm. uh, so it was mostly through hearsay, older brothers and sisters um, of friends. So, yeah, yeah, kind of w- actually just only visited I think maybe one time yeah. before that. Saw a couple videos, 
and just kind of threw yourself into it. It mm-hmm. was, yeah, it was a really risky decision, but I think it was it was probably the best one of the best decisions in my life. That's that's amazing. So, you get to Western, you enter Ivy now. Tell us more about Will the undergrad. What were you like in university? Who were you hanging out with? What kind of clubs were you involved with? How were you spending your time? Oh yeah, um, very very involved. Uh, just intramurals mostly, uh, but then there was a couple programs where you you wanted to do as much kind of community service as you could. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not not that I am like a saint or did this all the time, but like it was interesting to help out at you know homeless shelters and mm-hmm. food food kitchens and stuff like that. And then, um, but it was mostly intramurals, and then and then a lot of clubs, a so lot see, of clubs. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you mentioned that. You were a juxtaposition in high school because you were involved in a lot of sports, but at the same time you took computer classes. You also, I think, took study web development. You took a web development course sometime in twenty twelve, I think. Uh, no, I okay. didn't. I didn't really. I wasn't really exposed to it until. Um, yeah, I mean, it's twenty twenty twelve, but mm-hmm. that's when. That's well after university. Okay, so when you said you were exposed to computers, I'm curious, I'm curious why you didn't, didn't you ever consider like. Going to software engineer or computer science, something like that, something more STEM kind of fields. I wish, I wish, if I could turn back the the clock, I would have, I would have picked that up in a heartbeat. Yeah. And done the double major. I hear, yeah. I hear you did, you know, double major comp side. Software uh, engineering, yeah. yeah. That's that's that would have been that's me cool to field. a T. Mm-hmm. I just can't rewind time. Yeah. Why didn't you though? Didn't know. You didn't know it. Yeah, I, I didn't know. And I didn't understand how accessible it was. I think I might not have appreciated the way that I have because I was exposed to it in the right way. I think a lot of people get to comp side material and they're turned off mm-hmm. because they see it as not solving problems that they're interested in. If you're if you're not interested in the problems that you're trying to solve, you're not going. You're not going to keep digging and yeah. learn, learn further. So that's interesting. So like basically you're seeing like for example, some people who learn computer science, they see it, they just purely just to make video games. So you think, okay, if I don't want to be a game designer, then what's the point of learning computer science? Right. Stuff like that, right? Right. And, and so I know this because my my, my brother went through com- computer science at uh, UVic. You, yeah. And so, you know, I think he was exposed to a lot of good things, a lot of theory, and I think the deep parts are really important. But you have to often get through um, what gets you excited. It's mm-hmm. like learning the guitar. You're not going to just go through the chords in no particular order. Likely, you're going to pick. You're going to try and pick up a song. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, "I want to play that song." I'm going to learn everything I need to know to get to that song. Because when you get to that song, then going through it and getting good at the fundamentals is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So then you were working at. So you're an Ivy involved in a bunch of clubs. Did you know, because you worked at BNY Mellon, does the company still exist or does it come something else now? It used to be I3 Advisors, okay. and, and, and then Bank of New York Mellon uh, bought them okay. as their Canadian division. Okay, so at what point, so did you do internships like in, ba- in banking? Like, How do you know you want to go into banking, finance, all that kind of stuff? I mean, Ivy does a good job yeah. of, of exposing... You to basically, to, you can do anything you want as long as you're an investment <laughs> banker or consultant. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So it, it kind of seemed like those were the plausible routes out of, out of Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just a very good marketing uh, program mm-hmm. in terms of getting you excited about those fields. But 
I, I still love the idea of finance. I, I like the idea that you can start to boil down your understanding of the future and economics and markets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically psychology mm-hmm. and uh, and math, and you can boil that down into close to um, discrete values of 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 basically people. It's of of organizations working towards a common goal, mm-hmm. and there's there's you know thousands of factors that go into that. So it's this weird kind of blend of science and art. I think I think it's pretty interesting. Interesting. So how did you get the job at BNY Mellon? Yeah, uh, I think it comes from well, good network. I think more than anything. So how do you develop a good network? I think you connect with a lot of people on things that you're mutually interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think you just say yes to, mm. as, to as much as you can. So tell me more, because I, I like specifics, right? So you said two things. You said connect with as many people as possible and say yes. So how do you connect with people and what do you mean by saying yes? Well, whatever your interests are, mm-hmm. um, I would any chance you have to explore those. So I, like I mean like tactics, right? So for example, for me, yeah. like when you say connect with any people, in my head I'm thinking, okay, well, so for example, if I wanted to go into finance, I probably wouldn't do this, but for example, I wanted to go into tech. So yeah. connect with the people as possible. In my head, I'm thinking, okay, Twitter, probably get active on Twitter. If I want to go to VC, for example, you know, tweet, tweet at venture capitalists, follow them on Medium, maybe even their Instagram, shoot them a DM. So when you, like, when you were doing connecting, like, well, like, what does that mean to you? Well, and I guess it would depend on what level of sophistication. Yep. I think in university, it was pretty oblivious, and I would I would literally just sign up for every intramural I could, and I played like three or four intramurals at a time, mm-hmm. it, and it was it was or cl- clubs and intramurals, and just by being interested in the thing, you kind of meet mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people. Uh, Post university, if you wanted to be more sophisticated or targeted about it, I think you you would work backwards from the groups that you wanted um, to, to understand better. Like one, the 111 is a great example. Yeah. Like I, like understanding what tech in Canada is about, I think this place has it, you know, as good as any, right? I don't, mm-hmm. this, I know it's, it's a massive place, but I think this is the mecca for a bunch of great Canadian technology companies. Um, so, how how would I go about or how did you go about connect like so you said so basically the original question was how do you get the job at BNY Mail and you said my connection yeah saying yes yeah it's so like specifically like what exactly how did your connection help you get that job uh, I mean they, they made the intro I reached out to a bunch of folks that I knew that worked in finance in Toronto and I was still in university but first I set myself up to be marketable mm-hmm. so you basically have to work up to that spot, and so you take uh, take a job managing uh, your own your own company or your own business or something, and then take a uh, finance a, like a starter finance job, and then you go for the big thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't go right for for banking, I don't think, unless unless you're a genius or well, Paul in this case, <laughs> you know, maybe he, shout he, out Paul man, he's he's got it right away. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think that's 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 pretty much it. I think you kind of like a gardener. You should try and just give semi-frequently and just catch up with people. Yeah. But people you genuinely like, like I think there's a lot of fake networking oh my goodness, yeah. in Toronto. And I think what you got to do is figure out who do you genuinely like and then just kind of connect with them on a regular, mm-hmm. regular basis.
You said making yourself marketable. What does that mean? I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, okay, let's let's pick tech. I mean, finance is, is great to talk about, but let's pick making yourself marketable in tech. I think... We started City Credit Travel. It's interesting because I asked you in the context of finance, mm-hmm. but you chose to answer about tech. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, that's who I find affinity towards yeah. these days. Um, and that's what I'm excited about kind of exploring further and understanding deeply. Yeah. Um, because, like, I serendipitously fell into this as well. Like, oh, but we're going to get to that. Yeah, this yeah. wasn't part of the grand plan to be at 111. The grand plan, okay, yeah. But you just kind of work as hard as you can and, and hope for the best. But, yeah, I mean... Making yourself marketable in tech. Yeah, so, I mean, what what are the... What are the key points? Like, I think more often than not, you just want to join a really good quality company. And you want to work with people that are a lot smarter than you. And you want to work on something that's a little bit bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And you want to, yeah, you, you want to play basketball with the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but how do you get there? Like, mm-hmm. you don't start on the Raptors. Yeah. Um, I think you go to go to meetups and you understand I think you if you understand the landscape like incredibly well um, it gives you this sense of confidence that you go into any conversation and I can talk tech with the best of them like I, I don't feel like there's I'll miss much mm-hmm. do you know what I mean so I think a, a lot of it comes from deep understanding of the landscape so like I was obsessed with Y Combinator five, 500 startups tech stars Paul Graham yeah, all this, all this stuff, and that's I think what gets a lot of, you know, our folks our age into this in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you a question, but I lost my train of thought. So that means break. Cool. The reason why I break is because um the clips. If I record for too long, it will. It'll just cut. Yeah. No, that's good. Those are great questions, man. You, I think you, you got this like knack for this shit. It's fucking crazy. Like, I feel like you found your calling. You're like a dude, honestly, like a Charlie Rose. Dude, honestly, like, I was I was reading an article the other day. I'm sorry, I'm recording this right now. But anyway, I was reading an article the other day, and it's been talking about. It's kind of you know things are obvious, but like they just make you go like I know this, but like it just hits you differently. Yeah. You're talking about like basically finding personality traits, careers that match personality traits, mm-hmm. and I feel like this kind of thing matches my personality so well. Yeah, well, you, you ask good questions because you're like, I feel like you're, I don't know, but I feel like you're genuinely interested. Of course, like, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the art of it, but knowing when to press on things, I think that takes like a wisdom beyond your years. You know, like you're like, okay, no, 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 that piece, let's break that down because I want these guys yeah. to like. Yeah, and the thing, honestly, honestly, the thing too, like I'm really trying to do now is like the whole idea of bringing value to my audience and to whoever's watching this. Cause like, and, I, and see, that's why, and one thing I, I don't know if you noticed, I'm trying to get you to go deep on specifics. Yeah, tactics. Is, tactics. So that they can like leave with like, here's a game plan, I do this. Like, exactly. to-do list. Cause like, the big thing for me too is like, I know it's like, when I, when I listen to people talk or like podcasts, like you feel good about yourself, like yeah, inspired, but it's like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah, you know, so. kind of left hanging. And both, honestly, both are important too. And one thing I like about your answer is like, it's like you don't you don't just focus on like the you don't focus on like the literal question. 
<laughs> it focuses on like like the, the real, like the why, the big picture, the big yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah, which is good. It's where I live, man. I can't change, change, can't change that anything. So hopefully that helps. But mm-hmm. keep keep pushing me in the right direction. Is so I remember, yeah, to kind of get back on track. So you said that you love finance because it combined art and science in your words, whatever yeah, that yeah. means. So if it's so perfect, why did you leave? Um, Actually, no, sorry. Yeah. How was your experience at BNY Mellon, and then why did you decide to to pivot, as they call it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, nice, uh, pleasant word for fa- fail. <laughs> to make a big mistake. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it was the types of... You, you become the people you surround yourself with. Facts. And I think there are a lot of good people in finance, but the average person you surround yourself with... I don't think is my person. Mm. Um, it, it, it's a different culture. You know, I think tech, in its purest sense, is about figuring things out. You want to understand things extremely deeply, and I get that finance is about that. <clears throat> but the average person is really there to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and you're, you're not often creating... You're, you're not creating something. You're trading papers based on on market signals, mm-hmm. and you're you're basically yeah trying to obviously consume all the right information and make uh, make trades when when it makes sense. But you're not actually like changing changing things. So yeah, I mean, my why did I leave? My experience was was. I wanted to create things. I wanted to go and create technology. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself like basically not going to work <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. Because I'd stayed up all night working on ideas mm. like programming or like whiteboarding or like, you know, I went through probably a dozen different business ideas before we landed on. On uh, BitMaker, because you got to figure out not only are you excited about the market, the problem, do you have the right team, um, <clears throat> and yeah, do you want to ba- basically have a company baby and bring that thing into the world? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of things you got to go through. So how long did it take you to make that realization? Which? Um, so like how long? Like how long? Basically, how long did you work at BNY Mellon for? Uh, just about a year. Oh, you only there for a year. Yeah, just just maybe a little, maybe a little longer. Yeah, because I feel like what, a common thing I'm seeing now, especially with a lot of my friends who have either graduated, I think about eighteen months to two years. Yeah. You know, people start to realize, okay, this is not what I want anymore. Like I checked the box. Yeah. I want to kind of do something else. So like, and then did it take a lot? So because when so when you left BNY Mellon, which you went to Bitmaker, right? What was like? Was it was it scary? Because I feel like a lot of the time to your social capital sort of built up as, you know, Will, the finance guy. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to be, Will, this tech guy, Will, the startup guy. Yeah. What was, what was that jump like? It's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. It's like, you know, it's just like jumping off off the building. You're just jumping off the top and you're hoping you can assemble this plane on the way down. Isn't that a Reed Hoffman quote? Yeah. And he stole it from some, something else, I'm sure. I was going to say, I thought you could go with the Elon Musk quote, which is like, um, it's like staring into the abyss of darkness and eating glass. Yeah, I mean, that's what it feels like when you finally assemble the plane yeah. and you're, like, flying the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there are tough, tough parts, but it's it's more fun than it, than, than anything else, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, what, 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 what's your question? 
I don't even know what my question is. But I do have another question. Yeah. So BNY Mellon decided to do it for Christina for a year, pivot, start something new, and up with BitMaker Labs. Yeah. So tell us more about, I think, is this the, because I know right now with Google Genius, you're starting with your friends from back in Ivy. Yeah. Um, so let's start about why BitMaker. Yep. Let's start about why BitMaker and like what was that experience like? Yeah, I think, so we tried to build, and this is a terrible, it was a terrible product, but it was kind of like Instagram, men's Instagram, but like with nice clothes and nice things. Just like everything you kind of, when you're kind of daydreaming mm -hmm. and aspiring to like get, but you don't really care about. So it was like just pictures. Yeah. And you hover over these images and you could see the tags and you could go and there would be links and you could go yeah. buy those things. Funny enough, there's actually a Toronto startup right now who's doing something. I don't know if you know Bonsai, Shop Bonsai. Yeah, I talked to one of the founders. I've listened to the founder talk before too. A couple of months back. Yeah. And it's, so it's basically kind of your idea. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Yeah, so that's back in like 2011. Like the, I don't even know if really Instagram existed. I think it did, but not like definitely not to this extent. Maybe not big or anything, but yeah, I did, I didn't know, and so I tried to build that thing. We called it Nifty Lifestyle. Okay. It's like not a great name, but I I think actually the branding. I'll find you the cover photo. I think it was it was okay, um, and couldn't couldn't build it, and so I wanted to figure out how to how to build it, and I I, I couldn't. I guess you you couldn't. It's pretty hard to teach yourself everything you need to know in a short period of time, so I found this uh, school in Chicago. And ended up going there for three months, and then came back to come to learn, to, to learn uh, web development. Mm -hmm. So building Rails apps, and wanted to start start working on something. Yeah. But through that process, a lot of friends were asking me about it. Said, you know, I'd love to learn that as well. I was like, here, go down this thing, and it was good. It was called Starter League, but it what it it was missing a couple key things. Um, so I think it was, and it probably changed after that but it was missing the placement aspect uh, and it was missing the intensity so I just out of Ivy right it's like third year is one of the most intense experiences you can go through mm -hmm. so <clears throat> but it's effective and so I wanted to create an experience like that or we when I say I with the, the, the founding team and it was a bunch of Ivy guys mm -hmm. and so we wanted to create an experience like that mm -hmm. and to get people to the other side because it's like kind of going through that abyss like you're talking about. You've got to get people to the other side of the, the river. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we ended up placing about 300 people, graduating 300 people and placing 80% of those mm -hmm. those folks at like Shopify, Chango, IBM. Um, yeah, a lot of big big startups in, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So you said your team, which makes me want to pull up something to ask you about. I got some pictures. <laughs> Recipe for startup success: living with your roommates. Yeah, that's crazy. So tell me, tell us about why did you decide to start a company with your friends? Yeah. Like, very, very dangerous, yeah. obviously. Um, but I mean, if if you, I think the, the biggest thing is you have to have the same values. <laughs> uh, I think you have to have the same values and then complementary skill sets. So like, 
yeah, we kind of look similar in some ways, but I think uh, internally very different. Hmm. Very different people. And you can trust them. Startups are a game of sharks, snakes Mm -hmm. and ladders, and so you really have to be able to trust the people you're working with Mm -hmm. for the next five years. And um, if if not friends, then close colleagues. Mm -hmm. So what was it about, like, the person, or let me talk, let's talk more about, like, what do you think your strengths are versus this Ryan? Yep. Anthony? Brandon. Brandon. And, and Duncan. Is Duncan still around? I don't see him around the office. Yeah. Oh, he's still there. Around. Cool. He's, he's, he's always helping someone in some room or something. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, like, what do you think each of you brings to the table? Yeah, I think I think Ryan, so Ryan's head of sales, and um, he comes from a Salesforce background, so he's, like, well-trained at kind of understanding how to navigate those conversations. Mm-hmm. Very outgoing, so probably appreciate this interview more than anybody and you know he might he might see this so that's great shout out to ryan shout out to ryan uh then you got uh brandon on the on the far right there he are brandon Brandon. and so brandon comes from corporate m a at bell and so he's kind of the operations wizard and he understands uh financial modeling better than than any of us and so he keeps the money in the bank you know uh, and then and then Duncan's great with with people with customers like kind of the team building side of things mm-hmm. um, and I just have a couple of product ideas you know, so yeah what are you good at man? what do you bring to the table I, and I, now I, is not the time for false modesty because you know I know a lot of people like, like be honest what do you think you bring to the table I think I can see the bigger picture quite easily like I can see where things are going and markets are going and yeah it's, it's you, you got to kind of have you got to point the rowboat in the right direction and as long as people have something that they're working towards, then I think it makes it a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next question I want to ask you once I get this thing set up. Yeah. Getting acquired. So what was the process of um, getting the company acquired and how did it feel? Bittersweet. Hmm. I mean, it's like kind of like a necessary evil. It's um, I don't think that's the, the the goal at the beginning, but it's it's apparent that that has that often is part of the process of the whole thing. So markets and tech move so quickly that if you're not ready or if you don't understand the world shift beneath you, you can get caught. And even the best can't kind of see these things coming because you can have some startup in the U.S. raise $30 million and start just, you know, beating a war, war path down down your market. And sometimes you might have good technology, good market, um, good team, but but a lot of funding can, can go a long way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was kind of the case with uh, General Assembly. You know, in about the same amount of time, I think they had raised like 35 or $75 million, mm-hmm. something absurd, right? Um, and and what they were really good at, I, they had great, great classrooms, great instructors, but I think what they're really good at is picking up new markets. And so they perfect the playbook in which they, they picked up a new city. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of saw that as a good way to keep BitMaker 
you know, as as a, as an ongoing entity. So it still lives today. I think mm-hmm. the staff is like 30, 40 people graduating. You know, I think it's like in the tens of thousands of community members and and folks that have gone through the program now, and and you get to kind of be a part of a larger community. Mm-hmm. But an interesting process because it is your baby, right? Mm-hmm. So it's tough to give up. So you sold your company and you did what most millennials and most people who sell off companies do you decide to go backpacking through Asia. Yeah. So tell us why you said to go backpacking. And Very cliche. Yeah. I mean... To go find yourself. To find myself. Well... You're right here. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, well, I think part of the honest answer is like I hadn't done a lot of traveling to date and then I also, I think I was a little bit burnt out. I think when you, when you work as close to as hard as you can for, let's say, the good part of three years, like you got to take a break. I think that's something that I've, yeah, become a lot more wise to is making sure that every, say, th- three months that you get a week off and just disconnect, decompress, or else it just gets worse and that burnout eats at you over months and years. And you can kind of tell with, with people when they're, when they're burnt out. It's like you don't see that light or that fire in their mm. eyes. That's burnout. Yeah. That's like that's on the fringe of burnout. So that person needs to take a break. Yeah. And so, yeah, even sometimes around the office, I'll. Wait, can you come to the camera? I kind of um, encourage folks to take a take a break. Right. So. So what was what? So first of all, where in you were Asian Europe? Yep. What countries did you go to, and like how was that? How did that experience change you? Yeah. So I bought a one-way ticket to Hanoi. 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 Don't tell me Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, north of northern kind of side of Vietnam and yeah. spent a month traveling Vietnam and then a month traveling Cambodia and a month in Thailand. Thailand yeah. That's great. I'd go back in a heartbeat. But really? everything is trying to kill you. Like <laughs> like not literally trying to, but like in some way, shape or form, you need to be on your guard all mm-hmm. the time. The first taxi I took, I got ripped off. So it's, I think it's a, an eye-opening experience and it makes you again realize how good you have it here mm-hmm. um, just need to be reminded of that every once in a while mm-hmm. but yeah Asia was great um, and then Europe for a good part of like six to nine months so you were gone for tw- like did you come back at all yeah I was gone for close to a year but did you come back or you were just gone for 12 months straight yeah how did that feel like what was that like felt necessary at the time mm. it, fe- it felt like um, it was it was really good to disconnect for a while and I think it, it keeps you once you, once you've like gone off the grid you like your brain just kind of unhinges from you're you're basically going through hoops one hoop after the next after the next after the next and you're on this track and you don't even realize you're just jumping through these hoops that society has defined for you yeah. But then when you unhinge and you disconnect, I mean, for a good period of time, you stop, you slow down, and you say, well, I've got 40 to 70 years left, depending on how you play it. Mm-hmm. What, what do I want to do? I think, I think that reset is really important. Every, like, let's say five to 10 years. And then, so you're gone for 12 months, because, like, a big thing, I'm, like, one thing I remember really into right now is, like, digital nomads. Yeah. So I feel a lot of like bloggers, Twitter people that like, they're sort of like digital nomads like last 10, 5, 10 years of their life. 
12 months might seem like a long time, but it's not as long as like five years. Yeah. So why did you decide to come back to Canada and start a company again? I think it's community. I think you want to be plugged in to people you can learn from and you resonate with and that you see in a frequency that you build long-term relationships with. Like I think this kind of whole drifter mentality where you just, it depends on who you are though. Because mm-hmm. I think the digital nomad experience for the right person could be amazing. Mm-hmm. It could be life-changing, but I think for a lot of people, you, you realize how like freedom and fun, very important, but the belonging side, mm-hmm. just as important. And you know, another thing I'm realizing too now is um, a lot of these digital nomads I follow, I still to notice that after like maybe three, five, seven years, it differs for each person. After a while, they also want to like spend more time in one place. They start talking about getting a relationship. They all want to know how to settle down. Yeah. Because I feel like community and belonging is a big part of being what it means to be a human. Totally. So I definitely see that aspect for you, what you're talking about. Totally. And then, have, uh, have you done a bunch of traveling? So the, my only f- my only real trip was like, so I took a year off school to work. So yeah. I was thinking about dropping out, to be honest with you. Yeah. But was that properly? Yeah, so we're going to probably also work on a teal as well. Okay. And then, um, yeah, so anyway, so while, I was on, so while I was on a year off, I was actually finally able to travel because I was in the school for once. And I did, I, see, I think, seven countries in 10 days. Damn. So Paris, Monaco, Nice, Barcelona, Madrid, Lisbon, and London. Nice. Yeah, it was amazing. Nice. It was amazing. What, what, which was your fave? Barcelona. Oh yeah, like same here. I want, I want to go back so bad. <laughs> Barcelona's amazing. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the next startup hub. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. That's cool. So, so you, so you come back and you said, so what's the process like when you get back? So I think your friends that you started big maker with, what were they doing at the time? And like how did you sort of like, how did the idea for growth genius come about? Um, for for Bitmaker or for Growth Genius? We kind of close the Bitmaker chapter now and then talk about traveling to Asia. So yeah. now Growth Genius. Yeah, growth genius. So I think, I mean, there's there's a bunch of origin stories. And yeah. I can remember like a bunch of key moments that give me fuel through the hardest pieces. And one of them is like, I was in Vietnam going through Muy Ne, and I'm like, this is this is the best. This is like, I would just want kite surfing and go real surfing, like paying 10 bucks a day to stay in this place for as long as I want. Uh, there's a pool, food, whatever, right? But I realized, like, I'm, like, basically alone. I was, I, like, happened to have a, a friend that came with me for for most of that trip. But, like, I was, like, I'm alone, but, like, success is not, it's it best served with friends, yeah. with company. And so if if you do hit that next level of success again, you got to do it with friends. You, it's like you've, you've broken out of jail and you've got to bring your friends with you. And I think I thought about what would be the best thing for my friends and I couldn't think of anything better than, I know it sounds ridiculous, but Legion. And I was like, because you've never had to worry about getting new customers again. Like, your life's set. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you work with really good quality clients and people are just kind of kind of beating down the door to work with you you're good mm. you're good till the end of time that's amazing so then I think you guys were out of the DMZ at first right so I think nothing too like a lot of founders face issues with is um, fundraising yeah. and I think you're going through you're raising a fund right now too I think you're doing a fundraising round 
Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about the seed round. Like when you first started Growth Genius, right? Yeah. So yeah. So can you walk us through like the fundraising round and like getting employees and investors for the very early days of Growth Genius? Yeah. Uh, and I think the best way to think about the early days is is, and this is from Paul Graham, uh, is getting ramen profitable as as quickly as, as possible so that you you can basically do that thing indefinitely. And that's a huge milestone in, in the business. Um, so my, my business partner and I actually worked on, you know, products for a good part of like two years before this thing worked. And we went through, again, multiple versions. We wanted to make friends successful, and we thought the best way to do that initially was uh, through basically recommending the best software for work. Um, we, we ended up kind of pivoting to this because it's the adoption um, equation was a little bit too too tough and the unit economics didn't work out as well as we thought but so once you have a bit of traction then you just got to keep growing find finding more customers just like that with that pain point and solving it for them mm-hmm. and get to the point where you can't sustain that that business any longer on your on your own so you ha- you're forced to, to hire people and so we were, we were kind of at that at that point. We mm-hmm. knew what we were going to do for folks. We knew how to find find clients, and uh, yeah, we knew kind of how to how to grow the thing. So in the very early days of growth, you was bootstrapped. Yeah, bootstrapped. Bootstrapped in the early days, and it was just like you and your co-founder. Yep. How many of you was at the beginning? Yeah, it was my co-founder and I, and then uh, Brandon. Oh, Brandon. Brandon, and then uh, we actually picked up Daniel. We started working with Daniel next, and we. You gotta you gotta basically boot bootstrap or bootleg the whole process. So you don't do things that don't scale. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry about building all this insane technology unless you're coding. You know. See, I think I made the opposite. I think prodigy. I, I think maybe you guys probably focus on technology less, and I probably focus on it too much when I first started off. Well, we did too. Yeah. We we spent a year building a product that no one used. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to validate the most risky parts of the hypothesis yeah. as quickly as possible. Yeah. And so uh, a group called Ramen Ventures, I think um, Robert McNamara or something like this, he was like um, high up at Shopify in their product mm-hmm. uh, product management group. And he's, he's got all these frameworks. And I couldn't agree more with, with a lot of the ideas he has there. Mm-hmm. So de-risk it as much as possible. That's like demand. you got to make sure that there's demand and people willing to pay for the thing that you're building. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, then I would find other other. Um, team members and start to automate oh away a lot of what you're doing and then after that then if you're growing quickly and you're doing all the right things that's that's where you raise money mm-hmm. but only when you built that initial team and you've got a steady flow of, of clients uh, there's a lot of you know investors in Canada are quite risk averse yeah we're used to real estate and banks yeah so Personally, I think that a lot of my friends want to start a company. I feel like sometimes they're thinking too, they're thinking about investors too soon, and not spend all time thinking about um, you know actually picking something people want. Yeah. But anyway, because people are gonna ask the question anyway, if I want to start a company today, how can I find investors? How can I find people willing to invest in my company? Uh, that's a good question. There's there's definitely a couple places. I think accelerators are great for this. So like, how did you guys do it? Okay. Well, we slowly built 
our network of folks, anytime we were introduced to someone, uh, we would take the meeting and then add them to our advisor list. And we, we built up this advisor list of like, let's call it 50 to 100 people mm -hmm. that were kind of tracking our progress periodically. And we kept growing the company and then they would get interested and they would reach out and, and things would continue to pick up. Mm -hmm. um, but I would, I would say DMZ is, is great. If you go through a program like the DMZ or 111, mm -hmm. um, these are bar none the best places in Canada to find folks that are interested. Uh, there's like the York Angels uh, mm -hmm. group, Maple Leaf Angels uh, in Canada. Um, yeah, I mean, Crunchbase is great. Angel List is great. There's um, there's there's a platform called Signal FX. Si oh, Signal oh NFX Guild and uh, Signal is what it's called, and it's like all of the VCs in uh, the U.S. Wow. Come um, back and ask this question: What does Growth Genius do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we help you know B two B companies. But like that could be a freelancer, mm -hmm. that could be any any kind of small business that sells to another business, mm -hmm. uh, get sales meetings with people that they actually want to talk with. And we do that by automating their cold outreach. So any of your cold email, any cold like LinkedIn, um, and we're going to add channels over the next couple months. Mm -hmm. And so you, you don't have to worry about uh, folks that want to talk to you. Yeah. That's the idea. That's pretty cool. Um, so now, so that's recorded a bit of your life. So now I have a bit more questions about how you did, how you do certain things with tools, stuff like that. The first question is, if I'm a student right now coming out of university or even high school, I'm trying to figure out, okay, do I want to work for a big five consulting, big five bank, big five accounting firm, whatever, whatever, or work for a startup? Of course, the answer contextualized to like whoever the person asking, the person, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But sort of like, how would you sort of think through, like, if you're an 18 year old girl right now, or 21 year old graduating high school, graduating university? Trying to figure, or honestly, even if you're like you're 22 years old, and trying to figure out what you want to do next with your life, how do you know? Okay, I want to. I should probably go work in a bank or a big company, versus work for a startup or something more unconventional. That's a good question. Well, I think part of. I think, well, I think you have to try both. I think at different periods of time, you have to try both because. Working at the, the the big company gives me a lot of fuel to work at the startup. <laughs> That's so true. Right? Yeah, because you're like, I tried that. Yeah. It's like I had that type of relationship. Now I've got this type of relationship. Yeah. And without that other type of relationship, I wouldn't appreciate this one. Um, but I think in general, it's your your ability to deal with risk uh, and ambiguity. Mm -hmm. if, if you can deal with a ton of risk and you can operate with very little information and be okay with mm -hmm. good enough and not like totally dialed mm -hmm. then startups are your thing and also to to your point i think that your ability to deal with risk but i think people also under also understand their like a lot of people underestimate especially young people i feel like in my opinion underestimate their ability to take risk right because if you're 21 years old you're 22 years old you live with your parents you're just out of school or whatever like you can afford to take a job for one year so that it's not gonna look that great on the resume. Yeah, you know, as long as it's something you actually enjoy doing, it's something I think about. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was in terms of so you said yeah. try both. Okay, so you said try both, right? But I feel like so, like it's like iteration, right? Feeling like oh, like, 
do I want to study accounting or do I want to study engineering? Okay, well, you know, why don't you just do accounting? But the problem with that is, like, take on student loans to do that. You spend a year in university, but you don't like it. Yeah, yeah. If only I wish it was like a way to like, like test out different career paths and like faster iteration cycles. This is my next startup. Oh wow! You could and feel free, uh, audience here. You can steal this one free. I just want to see this thing exist. Um, but basically, I would do like vice style interviews with. Um, white collar folks that, that were like very desirable careers management consulting investment banking lawyers doctors etc like the works do those types of interviews and watch what a day in the life at every single stage in someone's career is like at all sorts of firms so you get a really good sample set of what that of what that's like and then and then serve it up and have you heard of like devour or something or yeah. like uh, just like vice let's say um, it's a, but you have to do a twist on it, and the, you know, I would call it jobtions. I used to, oh my goodness, you told me this before. I told, I you told you what jobtions? I actually remember where we were. We were at the corner of that. Yeah. Where you told me. I don't have the business model, but yeah. I, I, I feel like um, what, you, what you're trying to do is you're, what, what most people are doing is they're putting the cart before the horse. They're, they're, getting, um, they're going and committing a huge block of their life to something they have no idea what comes at the other end. So here's four years of my life, and I want to be a doctor. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I know they make a lot of money. That's a terrible way to go about that. Yeah. You're going to live in that career for 40 years, yeah. and all you know about that commitment is they make a lot of money. I'm not saying everyone makes their decisions like that, but yeah. I've, I've seen enough to know that our decision-making process is a little off. Yeah, and, like not, and the fact that, like, what if I think I want to be a lawyer? Why can't I just, like, do law school for, like, a month? And realize, you know, okay, I don't like it. I want to do something else. Right. And why do I have to commit like four years and like all this, like write the LSATs and do all this work, but you want to test something else? The system is set up backwards. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. The experimentation should be put up front, whatever the riskiest parts of that hypothesis are. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same thing as like building startups. Yeah, exactly. It's actually we should probably think. I'm I'm waiting like this. Probably, I'll, I'd be curious to see if there's a book or a blog post about like treating your career or your life as a startup. Right. Yeah, we're like, yeah. You're, you're, you're the business model whereby it's like you have a skill so you're the you're yourself the product totally your employers your customers that's the market and I, th- I think um, Andy Grove do you know Andy Grove Intel Intel yeah uh, high, high output management yeah. I think he talks about that he's like you, you are a product think of yourself as a product and it's like it's a weird kind of contrived way to look at your th- yourself but couldn't agree more yeah. in some aspects and like honestly, like this is such a tangent that we probably won't, don't want to go down this rabbit hole. But um, I actually think of dating a lot this way too. Or if you think of yourself as like start like, what are you bringing to the market? <laughs> no, I, I mean you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. Like, how are you adding value? Exactly. What's what's your retention like? You know, <laughs> you know. Are, can, can, can what are the you, exit ops? <laughs> what can what can can you actually keep your girlfriend? Yeah. You know, is she gonna put up with you for for months or years? That's actually a very good point. Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. Are you consistently bringing something new and interesting mm-hmm. to the table? And if you're not, why would, That's why a good would retention. St- I like that. Why would anyone stick with you? I sense a blog post coming. Okay, it's <laughs> um, great. So I guess now it's coming up to the third part of the interview. So one of the things you talked a bit earlier on, and you mentioned this a lot, and I always say like you're the Zen CEO guy. True. You don't know about RabbitCon? Uh, yeah. You had like some vibe to me. Very chill. Very. You're always talking to soft voice. I told you. 
you know, talk closer to the mic so we can even hear you. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I like his his kind of general style and things. Mm-hmm. I think he just did a, a, a podcast on, link. on Joe Rogan. So amazing. Cool. I, I will listen to it as soon as I get home. You should really watch it or listen yeah. to it. It's very good. Um, so in terms of, like, mental health, what kind of, like, why is mental health important to you and what, do you, what are some things you do to take care of your mental health? I'd say some days I don't have good mental health. Um, but, you know, when I can, I, I've been told and, and I've been able to keep it keep it up for a while but uh, meditation in the morning mm-hmm. you know first thing is try and set your mood to the right the right you know dimness right you want to set yourself up to be excited about the day mm-hmm. um, and so take take 10 30 minutes to kind of zero out and get in in the right headspace but I, Do you you don't, I don't think, I don't think med- meditation needs to be taken so literally think a lot of people have taken meditation and said okay it needs to be you know I'm I'm, I'm like send out and I'm not doing anything I think meditation can can be used as maybe a synonym for um, for focus or like flow yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah flow so you can you could find that in, in biking and running that's what I was gonna say in, I feel in, like in that's any activity meditation. yeah it doesn't have to be yoga mm-hmm. or it doesn't have to be literal meditation but whatever it is your thing to take you out of mm-hmm. out of the uh, headspace of, of usual work mm-hmm. so one of the things I love about Tim Ferriss podcast he likes to he really likes to go into like the tools and tactics people how to do stuff people how people do stuff yeah so if you, when you meditate do you do headspace do you use any apps or like yeah. what's your meditation workflow like oh well, headspace is great headspace um, yeah I mean you, you kind of just fire that that thing up mm-hmm. and just listen so like for, what do you do if I just for fifteen? Sit down somewhere for fifteen minutes and just just, just in just in bed, you know. I I haven't figured out how to set yeah, I haven't figured out how to set it as my alarm. But I would love that to be how I how I woke up. I want it to wake me up, but then put you right into meditation. You know, okay, here's my thing, right? I feel like for me great. personally, when I get out of bed I have to get out of bed right away. Because I feel like dude, meditation after sleep is just basically sleeping. No, I, I understand what you're saying, but it depends on where you are. Some, sometimes um, when you're going through a tough time, um, clearing out your head and starting with no mental anxiety, but like oh, running through all the things you have to do that day, uh, I mean, you can write them down, but you can also kind of just like let them, just let them go. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you, okay, yeah, so I, I guess if the answer, my question was going to be like, when you think back to like maybe some of the toughest times for you like from a mental health perspective, you want to talk about some of those moments and how you got through them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of, a lot of tough times, a lot of dark, dark days. Um, how do you, how do you get through those times? I mean, you, it's, it's good to know if you've been through them enough times. You're like, by the, by this time tomorrow, I'll feel great. Yeah. This or this week is I'm gonna get the crap kicked out of me. I'm gonna get. You know, sometimes it feels like you're getting hit in the head every every hour, every day of a week, and you just know, okay, on Sunday, I'm gonna feel good. Yeah, I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. Uh, some, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but at least kind of putting yourself to that future state is, is super helpful. And I think talking about it, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people struggle in silence. I think there's like a machismo about startups. Especially guys, yeah. You're just like, yeah, yeah, I've got this. I got the. I'm, I'm like. I like I'm gonna just you know destroy whatever comes my way. Crushing it. Crushing it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, that kind of talk is just like, uh, 
yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think it's the right way to look at these things. I think in you actually build bonds when you trust people with with information. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, you basically share the right amount of information. I probably lean these days on on the tendency of oversharing. But I'm pretty much the same way actually. Uh, but what what that does is it helps you build bonds with people yeah. and if you don't feel like you, you know if you don't give information up people are not going to trust you yeah. and you you want to build that trust or because it makes the journey so much more fun and how do you find people like who are some people that you're like how do you find people who are some people that you're going to open up to when you're going through these times um i mean the the founders forum at 111 is great um so that's like kind of a, a group of folks that have started companies here and we just talk about our issues um, and it's it's really helped I mean to understand that a lot of folks are just dealing with the same the same things yeah. uh, I mean and I, we actually do something called touchy-feely every Thursday at 1 or 1 30 at Growth Genius at Growth Genius and what we it's not as effective anymore because we get to break into small groups but we have four categories. Um, I mean, it's like admission of guilt. We call it like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this thing, but like F-ups. Yeah. Um, and then we have like uh, grievances, things that you're frustrated with, things that you're uh, thankful for, and then what are you looking forward to? And that kind of hits the whole basis. And it's turned into like this happy hour that's like, you know, kind of a little cheesy, but I'd love to... When it, when it was just five to ten people, that's how you really get to know yeah, what people are thinking. Right. So break break the group of 30 up into small groups and kind of have those. You know, it's funny too. The thing you said about cheesy, it's always weird because I feel like a lot of times, like a lot of this, like, and I'm definitely in this category too as like an engineer. Where we, like, I'm, I try, I'm very like right brain analytical kind of guy. Yep. And sometimes people say, oh, like, you know, all this like talking about the feelings and, you know, like, what are ways we can all, you know, collaborate. And say, they say it's cheesy, but it's cheesy, but it's effective. Yeah, if it's you know, sincere, if yeah, it's not it's like, if you're not paying lip service to to raise your rank in a company, I think some of these organizations become political past, say, 30 to 50 people. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, you're kind of trying to trying to figure out exactly what you should say, yeah. and you have to. I think it comes top down. You have to admit to a lot of things that you okay, you're so like a messy person yeah. that like so like on the topic of that sorry yeah. to cut you off because I know growth news you guys are crushing it uh, it's, no, it's, it's common yeah and you guys have seen a, well you guys have seen a lot of growth in the last couple of months totally and then so in some like you know how are you making sure like the culture when you had was just like U4, U5 and now you're like 20, 30, 35 how was something you're doing to maintain that culture and keep things tight yeah I mean I think it comes from open open communication over communicating um, clear lanes clear lanes um, so like you have clear reporting lanes like, like I report to you uh, yeah well you, you basically it starts to get to this like a little bit messy as, as you grow because sometimes you're reporting to multiple people and it's a little hard and then, then that becomes political because you have who's the nicer guy I'm just going to go to that person all the time um, but you have uh, stand-ups daily, weekly sprints. Um, we do, like, by we call them GG Mixed Sport. So we, we're going to go play, like, basketball or bike together or whatever. So you can, like, see people outside the context of work. Yeah. Um, we have, like, we have town halls monthly. Um, yeah, it's a bunch of ways. What about one-on-ones? 
How often do you do one on ones? Bi weekly one on ones. Yeah, bi weekly one on ones. Okay. You, you could do them um, initially weekly, and then if you get really on a comfortable interval, you could do monthly. But just enough to, to, to keep, keep pace there. Mm-hmm. Something else, because I was reading one of your um, interviews about you, and you were talking about exercise, and you're a pretty fit guy. Yeah. And <laughs> Dude, I love that. Whenever I compliment you, you always deflect. Turn it into a bag of milk, man. Dude, whenever I compliment you, you always deflect. It's yeah. so funny. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I don't mean to, but yeah. yeah. Just I take the compliment, man. It's a yeah. good thing. We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so something I'm really into nowadays is like exercise and like diet. Yeah. So like, what is like sort of your exercise routine like on a on a good week? What's can I turn this back around on you? Okay. Do you do you have it dialed? Do you have your exercise and diet dialed? Like I think I'm I'm like let's say over like the last portion of my life I'm probably at the best place I've been ever. And like cool. in high school I was playing a lot of sports. Yeah. But like I think it was just like youthful energy was just getting me through. Yep. But now I have a fairly good regimen. But I was going to make it better, right? Nice. So. Uh, so, so yeah, some last one was trying to figure out like what are other people doing so I can see where I can improve. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's about the right balance. Like, if you have a tough week, be okay to like not do as much as long as you can get back into the routines. Mm-hmm. Because not every like I used to like try and work out f- five times a week, mm-hmm. and I found you keep to such a strict s- schedule that you uh, you'll just break. Mm-hmm. And so now, especially in the summer. Um, biking to and from work that's about half an hour each way and I try and bike it as fast as I can um, that works up a sweat and then basketball once a week and then runs so you're not doing weights right now or anything like that? not anymore um, I'll get back into it but it's just like whatever for me I'm, I'm weird like that it's whatever I'm interested in at the time mm-hmm. and you know that keeps it kind of light and interesting mm-hmm. yeah. what about you like diet are you doing are you any kind of like diet like Nothing crazy. Yeah. I mean, trying to eat well when I can, mm-hmm. and so make sure it's like mixed grains and veggies, or or sorry, fruit in the morning, and then when you can, mixed grains and veggies, and like, you know, not not red meats in, during the day. Yeah. Beyond that, like just try to eat as as well as you can. But I I I, I think a lot of people go overboard. On yeah, this. I agree with that. I agree with that. I was just asking because, like, I'm trying, like, I think it's 80% vegetarian. Because, like, for example, like, last, like, yesterday the Raptors were playing. Yeah. We lost to the Warriors game six, game five. But, um. Stuff on watch. Yeah, so, like, I, I had, like, a bunch of wings and pizza, right? So, like, I say 80% vegetarian because I tried to go plant based. Yeah. But I'm also, like, still up in the air on, like, how much does plant based actually help? Because sometimes I think it's placebo, too, where, like, you know, I eat, like, all veggies or, like, I eat no meat this week, I feel great. Yeah. But I also notice too that typically when I eat a lot of, like when I don't eat meat, I typically also go to the gym more, I get more sleep. Yeah. So it's like, how can you isolate what's what the, cause, the causality is? Right, right. There's so many variables that yeah. it's hard to isolate these things. Yeah, I mean, I think with the veggies versus grains, even though you might not, the looks-wise, you might be the same, mm-hmm. I think the, there's long-term longevity in... Uh, and fruits and vegetables. I think they didn't they redo the Canadian food pyramid so recently. Has, yeah, I, I, it's like it's all veggies. No, you're right. And the other thing too is like, I feel like conf- like there's always so many conflicting studies. Yeah. Like I was thinking of this thing and they were saying that like, they basically found papers that said that every single food group causes some kind of cancer. And he said and it was like this thing where they said I think was it like was it red meat or wine? Yeah. But like wine like maybe some percentage of wine is good for you, 
But then another paper said some percent wine is bad for you, and it's it's always hard to pinpoint. But I think it's also like contextualized on what's best for you. Yeah, totally, so. totally. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 pretty important to think about. Like, what what do you want to eat? Mm -hmm. What what can you eat on a on a recurring basis? And yeah, yeah, find out what's right for you instead of just sticking to some sort of plan. Yeah. Two hours long. Wow. Yeah. Because she was doing, she was going deep on like like spirituality and like energy, and she was talking about the education system. Because she's a teacher as well, right? Yeah. And we're just asking her all these questions, and then she and then she has something interesting about like she said that she does this thing called Reiki. I've, I've heard of that. Is that where in South America they something to do with your like, spirits? Yeah, something about like energy and like all those like you know. And she's basically like, yeah, so I can read people's body languages. I can basically have her read our language, like read our body language. And, and how are you doing? She, it was pretty good. She said that, you know. Like, lean into it or something? Yeah, she said that, you know, I can tell you guys are, you know, strong, confident, da da da, da. That's cool. It's interesting, yeah. But I wanted her to go more deep because it's almost like, I don't know, maybe she was being nice. But it's like, no, like, wait, what am I thinking? What am I really doing? What am I really like? doing? Yeah, yeah, peel back the layers of the onion, you know. Yeah. Um, what, what, did, what did you get the sense of? Is there anything like lingering behind um, what she said? Yeah, behind what she said, or like, you know, did you learn anything about yourself that you maybe didn't want um, to? It's very interesting because you know what it is too. I feel like maybe I'm interviewing a lot of people who are confirmation biased. So like almost everything, like me and you, like we like we all read, we both read Paul Graham, we both follow Naval. All the same stuff. It's all the same stuff, right? It's like so a it's microcosm. Like, yeah, so it's almost like everything you're saying is stuff that I, I agree with. Right. And honestly, too, the thing too I realized too is like. Before I used to try and find people who I disagree with, but I think at this point I want so much information. Most of the people who I typically disagree with are people who I have a different perspective on. Yeah. So what I'm not so honestly I'm not even trying to find people who I disagree with. I'm trying to people who are gonna surprise me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give you something new. Something new to think about. A different way of right. Actually and that's something probably most people don't do nearly enough. It's like forcefully make sure that you are getting the other side of the coin. Or right. else you're just gonna have this like dull, boring existence. And it's interesting too because you, you brought up the topic of um, jobs and the white collar jobs. Yeah. I was actually going to cut you off and say that why only white collar? No, it should be everything. It should be, it should actually really be blue collar as well too. Totally. And, but I would start with what's well, the, the most desirable. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because like, also like early adopters are more likely to be people in that kind of field. No, it makes sense. Yeah. It's also because like, so one thing a bunch of people talk about my friend is like telling me, like, well, how come you're only interviewing successful people, man? Yeah. Interview someone like me. Interview someone who's just normal. <laughs> that's, that's not successful. Yeah, that's great. You should <laughs> totally. And but the thing is, like, I like, I, I didn't really take it as not successful. I just like maybe more so less talked about. So for example, like, one of the people I want to get on is um my friend Marco, who's a um he's in the trades, and I would definitely not consider Marco unsuccessful. I think he's actually very successful in what he does. Yeah. This is like the career path that he went down. Most people don't talk about. Right. You know, like, how often do you have a podcast where you interview, like, you know, a consultant and a banker and an entrepreneur and also interview, like, an electrician? Yeah, and I think they probably have a much happier existence than like the my, first three that Like, my buddy right now, he's, a, he's doing an electrician, and he told me that, like, so he's graduating this year. So he was in school for four or five years, but he was in an apprenticeship. Yeah. So he was getting skills, and he was getting paid at the same time. Yeah. And a very good job, very good benefits. Totally, yeah. totally, especially... If you like to work with your hands, yeah. Like, if you, if you're kind of built differently, then like, I think that's potentially a better way to go. I think we're gonna be kind of old and sedentary quickly. Yeah. And it's also like this thing too, where like you know, because less people want to go into the trades, 
the salaries are going up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I do have this theory that if the salaries goes up too high, immigration might offset. Anyway, it gets all, p- all political, but anyway. No, it's so interesting. By, I think the trades is an underrated career path. I think more people should consider. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, especially home building and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think. One day. One day. Well, I, I would love to do something more physical after. Yeah. After like something like this. So after job options or before job options? You have so many goals. Eh? I mean, job options would be cool though. Yeah. Speaking of goals, question I like. So now the final third of the interview. Yeah. Question I like to call the one, the five, and the th- twenty-five. Yeah. So you can probably guess where this is going. Yeah. Where do you see yourself? What would you like to be doing a year from now? Five years from now, twenty-five years from now. Yeah. So I mean, a year from now, would love to be with the same team, um, much like stronger position, mm-hmm. where I'm I'm excited to really see the the product kind of come along. Yeah. Like I think we can do a lot of good in in that sense. Um, still here, um, maybe more partially kind of remote. We've been playing with a lot of remote as of late. Um, but yeah, kind of generally doing the same thing and mm-hmm. just in maybe, a, you know, keep working on getting to a better spot. Mm-hmm. Five years from now, yeah, I mean, I would love to see this thing really take off. Um, I think we want to wait until we do the right demo at 111, but I think, th- I think this thing could be huge. Um, but so does everyone in this, in this building here, yeah. right? So, but five years from now, I'd love to have... Um, yeah, I would love to have an office back in Vancouver as well as, as Toronto. Um, maybe maybe another, maybe a third office by then. But generally, I think the most important part is like, is the problem you're solving, you think that's genuinely helpful for people? And are you working with people you, you like, both on the team front and then on the customer front? Mm-hmm. So did you talk about 25 already? 25, I have no idea. So okay, so I like, really, yeah. yeah. So another thing I'm thinking about recently is like moonshot. So how, I don't know if you've heard this Bill Gates quote that people underestimate what they can do. People overestimate what they can do in a year, but underestimate what they can do in ten years. Right. Interesting. So on that line of reasoning, imagine you had twenty five years. So now time is no longer an issue, on a long time scale, with more capital, whatever. Yeah. What's a problem like a big problem that you want to solve? I mean, it's this one. Job options, right? Well, it's not job options. It's, it's growth genius, mm-hmm. but not in the, not in the sense that it is now. Like the same, the same technology can be used for building and maintaining relationships of any sort. And so I like Tinder. I <laughs> uh, like sure, like Tinder. Yeah, it's, I mean, but I, I mean, you you could take it out of business context, and the idea is that. It comes from uh, predictably irrational. Oh, right? Do you know is Dan? it Ariely? Yeah, Dan Ariely, right? And he he talks about all of these weird kind of psychological conundrums, the things that don't really make sense. Sort of control. Have you have you heard um, Charlie Munger's Twenty Five Cognitive Biases of psych- the Psychology of Human Misjudgment? That's it's probably in the same vein. I haven't read the book. Okay, I'll send you a link for that. That'd be cool. It's amazing. Yeah, so in that same vein, like, he, he basically found uh, organ participation rates, or sorry, organ donation participation rates across uh, Europe. And he looked at, I think it was 10 or 15 countries, 
and half had a participation rate of like five to ten percent. The other half had a participation rate of 95 percent. Is the opt-in thing right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Is so so. What was the difference? It wasn't. It wasn't religion. It wasn't some sort of like cultural norm. He separate. He was able to separate all mm-hmm. of those those things out, um, and it was just. The DM, uh, the DMV form mm-hmm. was like opt in versus opt out. Yeah. So, what if you make it really easy? You have to opt out of keeping your relationships alive. Like so, imagine by default, mm-hmm. you are messaging the right people in your network at the right intervals, spreading just like good things. Yeah. Just like positive. <coughs> I know it's like cheesy as shit, but I think that that's finally using technology for the way it should be. It's interesting you mentioned that too, because another thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is the fact that, especially as me as an engineer, especially that as society is moving towards a more empathetic, more compassionate sort of mental health perspective. Totally. One thing I'm always trying to do is always realize, and the one thing I keep on reminding myself, and I'm starting to really hit home for me, is like, the biggest problems in society are not technology problems. They're human problems. Like, how could we all agree to move in this direction? Yeah. You know, because like, you know, nuclear energy or attacks or this or that, like, in theory, if we're all in this, you know, AI is another good one, jobs automation. Yeah. You know, someone angry Andrew Yang. Yeah. Which we've talked about before. It's like, whatever our different opinions on, like, more or less, if you're all on the same page, we can figure out the technology to solve these problems. Yeah. But like, how can we all get on the same page and all get our incentives to align? Yeah, it's collaboration and, and resource allocation. Yeah. Totally. It's 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 near impossible. How do you how do you find some of the people you look up to? How do you, how do you find they do it well? Like, how do you get people bought into something for Dude, a long period so of time? That's so true. Like, like Elon for like like let's like who are some good examples like so a couple so this is one thing I wor- I wonder about a lot something like Elon or Jeff Bezos right so first of all Elon is like he's so good at motivating people to like I have friends who work at Tesla and they like they work long hours yeah for very little pay yeah but you know they're they're excited to do it because of the culture yeah so how do they do I think I think one thing that is they're very good at telling narratives yeah so everything Jeff um, Elon Musk does and even Jeff Bezos to an extent. It's creating the story behind Tesla and Amazon. Yeah. So to answer your question, how do they do? I think they tell very good stories about eight their own personal life. Yeah. And about the company, what the companies are trying to do. Totally, totally. I think, and that's probably the next evolution of most of these companies. Is like, you got a product, you've got a team, you've got a market you're going after. But how do you, how do you make it really easy mm-hmm. to kind of to kind of scale up? And you're right, it is through a narrative or story. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's really interesting because like. And I don't know, that's why I kind of get disheartened when people sort of bash tech for like, you know, they want to change the world. But like, what's wrong with saying that? Like, of course we want to make money, but we also want to change the world. Yeah. And I felt, honestly, I felt like there was a point where like, I always say, you know, oh, I want to, like for me, honestly, I'm not big on the whole change the world thing. I'm more big on like change the world in my little 16 inches. Yeah. Like change like the little bit I can do. Yeah, yeah. But even then, right, when I say, you know, like, you know, I want to, you know, I want to make the world, like, I want to make my backyard a better place. I want to make other people's backyard around me a better totally, place. Totally. And so people, I, people, I feel like some people feel a bit jaded by that. They're like cynical. Yeah. But it's like, that, you can have both. Like, you can want to make money and also want to make an impact. Well, if you have a clear path and if, if you have, if you have good results um, and, and you have, yeah, you have a, a you, it's kind of like ballistic missiles. Like, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at, okay, this is my path to changing the world. Mm-hmm. And then here's where I'm at now, and am I tracking on, you know, actually having really deep, large impact? Yeah, I think it's not, especially with how ubiquitous tech can be, 
it's not that crazy to think. Mm-hmm. So, third last question: um, What are you currently obsessed with? So this can be anything, oh, yeah. and it can be anything fluffy, like you know, meaningful relationships and connect the world. It's important, but it's not what you want. Yeah, something light, fluffy, like a workout, restaurant, Instagram channel, YouTube podcast, book. What are you currently obsessed with? Uh, I mean, it's not too imaginative. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll give you the first thing that comes to mind, but how I built this. this was is like by te- uh, Guy Raz. Oh, the podcast. Uh, the podcast, uh, and he interviews. You know, I've gone through like 50 interviews um, and it's just each person's story and it's it's so different on how they got there. It's, I mean, there are common threads for yeah. sure. You know, I, I saw this thing, I had this problem, I went after this market, it was really difficult, here's the narrative, but, but when you get into the details of how it worked and the low probability of them getting to that point it's 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 really impressive or not it's just interesting yeah it's because the chances the 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 line between success and failure is so thin it's so thin and i could see you know they missed one one round of funding or they missed like you know one big customer or they missed one one great hire you know any of those ingredients are missing and and the whole thing falls apart Mm one one investor it's like it's just like you're like what like you you realize luck and timing almost have more to do with people's success than 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 the hard work sometimes interesting second last question so if people found the stuff you're seeing interesting they want to find out more about you they want to reach out to you what's the best way to find out about will and reach out to will just email me email you will at growthgenius.com mm-hmm. i'm on twitter what's your twitter uh, it's Will underscore Richman uh, is the handle. Yeah. But I mean, just just email me if you if you got or or link send me a message on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will dash Richman uh, on LinkedIn. Okay, and I'll add links in the description for everyone else to find, reach out to you as well. On that note, you wrote, you started writing a bit about entrepreneurship and stuff, which I thought was super awesome. Why did you stop? Uh. I think my ideas are a little too out there for people. Like there, it's like I'm like obsessed with altruism, and just kind of what it means to kind of give back and why people, why societies like, you know, pull together the way it has been. And I, I think they weren't, they were too ephemeral for me. They weren't crisp enough, and mm. I, I didn't feel like, um, you know, some of the ideas needed to be a little bit more concrete or give you a walk away, or people would just, I say, wow, this guy. You know he's out to lunch, mm-hmm. so I, I, I think I, I, I need them proofread uh, by peers, and then, I would love uh, to read stuff like then, that, man. then put together a blog post. Honestly, like, if you have ideas, I would actually love to read stuff like that. I got a shitload. Yeah, honestly, send them over to me. I'm interested. If you're if you're into it, yeah. But the thing too you're saying about, I think also that's the fact that you said that you know, you need to make them more crisp too. I think is um, it's actually it's actually it's actually an example that you need to write more too because I feel like a lot of times too, people having that they feel makes sense. But as you start writing, like, actually, what I'm saying doesn't make any sense. Totally. So which is why we rewrite it. Yeah. It could be version one of ten. Yeah. You could rewrite the same. I think that was something I took from Picasso. It's mm-hmm. like in Europe, he, it, none of his art was ever done. He would redo it over and over and over again. So it could be paper mache, and then he could put like spikes on it, and yeah. then he could put metal wiring around it, and then he could put like glass around it, and he could put like 
just turf, like, you know, just anything. And to see that everything was in a constant flux, I think was a good analogy for ideas. That's awesome. So final question. There's two questions. You can pick the one you want, you can answer both. For someone watching this right now, for someone listening to this, what is one final thought or one piece of advice you want to leave them with? Or will it 16, will it 12, will it 21, will it 18? If you could write a letter to your younger self, what would you tell them? Uh, maybe they're almost one and the same. I think, that, yeah, the older I get, the more I realize that life is kind of like a rainforest. And the only way you're going to survive or thrive in, in that rainforest is to be different. And so you have to have some sort of adaptation or thing that you are, you know, almost obsessively interested in or something about you that, you know, initially you might think, I want to cover this thing up, but it is, I think you should embrace the things that are weird mm-hmm. about you. Um, and I think there's a sea of sameness, um, mm-hmm. especially sameness. especially in, in, in Canada, you know, um, Fortune favors the bold, right? So take risks where you are uniquely strong at and embrace those things that are a little bit weird. So I, I, I try to fit in for way too long. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of weird now. You're kind of weird now. Yeah. I love that. Totally. Famous last words. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. And so again, if you guys love this episode, you can catch it on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, Medium. Am I forgetting anything? No, that's great. Just email me. Email him. Catch you guys on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Peace. Thank you, brother. No problem. No problem. Let's go. Check. She ain't gotta tell me what to do with it. I already know.